When the world has got you down. Alzheimer's sucks. It's an equal opportunity disease that chips away at everything we hold dear. And to date, there's no cure. So until there is, we continue to fight with the most powerful tool in our arsenal, love. This is Love Conquers Alls, a real and really positive podcast that takes a deep dive into everything Alzheimer's, the good, the bad, and everything in between. And now, here's your hosts, Susie Singer-Carter and Cassie Cruz. Hello, everybody. I'm Susie Singer-Carter. And I'm Cassie Cruz. And we are Love Conquers Alls. And we've ventured now into the YouTube space, so you guys can all watch us now. <laughs> I get to see Cassie. She can see me. We get to see our guests. It's exciting. We do have to clean up our desks, though. And, <laughs> just... and ourselves. And ourselves, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, but, but we do it because we love it, and we're really excited to continue on this journey, and, and we're expanding. So it's good. It's all good. Right, yes, Cass? it's it's fantastic. And we have someone very special to both Cassie and I. And her name is Heather Cooper Ortner. She is the president and CEO of Alzheimer's Los Angeles. Like I said, they've been very supportive of both our films, Broken Memories, Cassie's and mine, My Mom and the Girl. And we have just fallen in love with their passion and their dedication to caregivers and people that are afflicted with Alzheimer's and dementia. And they couldn't be a group of nicer, more authentic people. And we, we can't do enough with them because we just support them 150%. Exactly. And we want to be advocates. We want to create awareness. We want to be fundraising with them because the kind of services and the things that they provide for all of us it's just incredible the amount of services that they have because we need them. We don't have a cure and they are fighting for the funds to get that. They're helping the caregivers. Uh, they're helping the people that have the Alzheimer's and finding resources to help the caregivers sustain that, that caring that needs to happen. But I just want to fill you in on, on her illustrious background. Oh, please, please, please do, because she is illustrious. And she's darling. Um, okay, so, well, Heather joined Alzheimer's Los Angeles as the president and CEO in the fall of 2017. She is a highly respected nonprofit leader recognized for bringing an entrepreneurial spirit, which I love, to the healthcare arena. She is proactive and passionate. I already said that. And her work has <laughs> contributed okay. to a wealth of experience for healthcare-based organizations and Prior to this, uh, this position that she had, she was um, working as a chief executive officer, CEO, of uh, Dr. Susan Love's Research Foundation, whose mission was, is to achieve a future without breast cancer. Oh, wow. Yeah, so I didn't even know that. That's I didn't know that either. But uh, I am going to introduce her and have her come on because she's lovely and she's waiting. And um, uh, I will do that now. With no as as further I ado, how to do this. well, with no further ado, hold on. Here comes Heather. <laughs> hi, Susie. Hi, Cassie. You guys are amazing. We love you so much. <laughs> we love you so much. We really do. And Kara, totally true. And I know. And, yeah. And, oh, and Angela. Yeah. Everybody in your organization, um, always. Well, we and, think of you as part of our organization. You guys should know that we really do consider you part of our Alzheimer's LA family. Uh, you've done so much for us along the way as well, and it's really been a beautiful partnership. You've helped raise awareness about our organization and visibility for us, 
um, as we've supported and helped to uh, raise visibility for your amazingly beautiful moving project. So it's, oh. it's really, it's a beautiful partnership. Thank you. Thank you so much. Cause you know, both of us started our projects without knowing whether it was the right thing to do. And it turned out to be for me, one of the best things I could have done. So, you know, therein lies the silver lining, which I yeah. always talk about of, you know, finding a way to make the best out of the situation. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm so happy. Like I couldn't be more proud in that respect and that I have this relationship with Cassie and they brought us together because we were yeah, exactly. every every festival that we were at together we were in a box together and we, you know, they put us together put the Alzheimer films together yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> no you guys were destined you were beshared right you were there <laughs> was no option but for the two of you to get together totally well you know what's interesting though is when I started my film I didn't plan on uh, becoming an advocate or even thinking of that I mean I obviously was touched by it with my family um, many members I became a caregiver for my gram and I was touched by it I wanted to make a film that actually um, showed the caregivers as heroes and what they went through and the experiences mm -hmm. and also about how family members can look different and the different options that are out there I wanted to make a family friendly movie so everybody could see it mm -hmm. and then I was absolutely blessed because after we were done I got to meet Alzheimer's Los Angeles right I got to meet that advocacy and that opportunity for us to advocate in a whole other way that I had no idea that that's what this, gonna, this trajectory was going to take right. me on. We want to know what drew right. you to the it, senior. It wasn't so very specifically. Um, when I heard about this position originally, I actually wasn't looking for a job. I was pretty happy in, in the breast cancer world, um, which sounds kind of weird to say. Yeah. yeah. But, <laughs> but the breast cancer advocates and the breast cancer community is also very tight-knit, very close, very positive and forward-looking, um, caring, dynamic community. And I was really felt deeply entrenched. But when I heard about this position, I, I forwarded it to my husband and he basically said, this sounds like you. Mm -hmm. So healthcare nonprofits have been where I've chosen to make my career. I really love the intersection of healthcare and nonprofit. We get to do things that you can't do mm -hmm. in a doctor's office. We get to take people outside of the doctor's office, become a trusted voice, provide reassurance and resources that you don't get when you're in the doctor's office. We think of ourselves as complementary. So when this came up, it gave me the opportunity to really pair my, my professional goals with a personal passion. And that's obviously because this has been in my family as well. My grandmother had what we now believe was Alzheimer's disease. Mm -hmm. um, think it's po quite possible that her mother may have had it as well, although I think at the time they called it hardening, hardening of the arteries. Mm. Um, but I was uh, on hand for much of the caregiving of my grandmother while my mother was really the primary caregiver. My grandmother's symptoms probably started in high school. I remember her getting really angry at things. Um, and then in college and after college, um, in fact, I was at UCLA and my grandmother lived in um, a condo on Wilshire Boulevard at the time. And so I was the closest person to take a phone call when she had confused nighttime and morning and didn't know what time it was and kept waking up and thinking it was time to take her medicine and actually had an accidental overdose. Oh, yeah. So I oh, was the first one yeah. in the ER to say, 
no, this wasn't intentional. She yeah. didn't know what's going on. She has dementia. Question. I'm just wondering, did she, did yeah. they try to put her in a 72 hour or anything like that? Or they, they examined it, but they, they, you know, were able to connect with her GP and she was not put on a 72 hour hold. But they initially, when I got there and she was still unconscious, her, her arms, her wrists were tied down. It was very traumatic. So oh. Because Heather, I had the same experience. My mother, they mistook her for being, hmm. they brought her in for uh, examination when she was at Silverado. And um, they thought she was a crazy woman. They put her in a a 72-hour lockup. And when I went to find her, she was tethered to her chair. Yeah. It's heartbreaking. That's that's just... That's just rough. That's that 5150. That's what they call it, right? They call it a 5150, like in case you're going to harm yourself or others. So they lock you down. Yeah. Uh, We hear about that, unfortunately, far too often, far too often that people that are are police and first responders don't know enough about dealing with um, people with dementia to understand what's really going on. But but then later, my mother ended up with uh, the disease as well, with dementia as well. So um, repeated it again. We lost my mother just over a year ago. Oh, I didn't uh, know that. I'm so sorry. Yeah, January 30th of last year. Oh, wow. what a year. Oh, yeah, so this has been this has been yeah. quite a year. Uh, yeah, it has. You know, last year was a year of firsts of everything without her, and we were so close. And um, I so, feel you. I can start crying just thinking yep. about it because I know it's, I, I, it's, I, I dread it every. I think about it all the time well don't think about it it's impossible not to but try to live in the moment enjoy that she's here i do um, i mean we're zooming now in the coronavirus time yeah. <laughs> i've got she's... a little baby on one end who's doesn't know where to look and i got a mother who doesn't know where to look <laughs> <laughs> it's really quite amazing that there are four generations of you that's pretty spectacular it is it is and i i'm very grateful I really am. You, you are blessed. I have a question, Heather. How long did your mother have Alzheimer's? How long did, were you one of her primary caregivers as well? My father really was her primary caregiver. They lived not far from here. So I was the, um, I was the go-to resource. Um, when she would become agitated, he would call me and say, I can't get her to calm down. She's yelling and screaming. I'd get on the phone with her yeah. mm-hmm. and, you know, I'd say, you know, put on some Elvis and she would, or the put on the Beatles and she would, uh, start to, um, relax a little bit and as she was talking to me so I could kind of talk her down from some of those some of those moods but how old is uh, your mom my mom was 75 when she passed just before just oh after. my goodness yeah. this is too young so she is she was too young but my mother had another neurodegenerative disease that actually was what took her it wasn't oh. the Alzheimer's that that took oh. her so oh, uh, wow. yeah they she had another probably unrelated neurodegenerative disease that she'd had for a long time but Toward the end of her life, the Alzheimer's was all consuming. The dementia was what was was really the focus of our days in terms of providing care for her. Sure. sure. No, I mean, my mom was about that age when my movie takes place, and that's such a hard stage that they go through. That that because my mom got it when she we diagnosed her when she was seventy three, mm. and so and now she's eighty five, eighty six. Wow. You're like, oh wow, eighty six. Yeah. Yeah, That's amazing. No, she, she's had it for a very long time, but that now she's a very she's very happy. She's complicit and happy. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, she's lovely. You say to her, How are you doing, Mom? Good, you know, and she's oh, that's wonderful. and I can sleep at night, but before it was like 
a lot of agitation. When I say they're straddling the, the the fence. You know, they know that they're they have a disease. They they of course they do, but they don't want to. They are you know they're yeah. in denial. How long for your? Uh, how long were you caregiving for your mom when she was diagnosed with Alzheimer's? Probably about five years um, okay. altogether, uh, and I think she probably had it before that. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, we just didn't really know what was going on, um, which you would have figured we would have known because we'd been through it with my grandmother. But um, but you didn't want to think that that was happening, I'm sure. You no, know? no. It's like, no. And also she had this other degenerative disease that right. you had thought maybe that's really what was well, going on with her. At that that time. was not that was not um, behavioral in any way. So mm -hmm. it was not really they were like the new behaviors the getting angry the not remembering i thought she was being manipulative i wow. didn't understand what was we already talked about this why are we talking about it again and she would be like well i want to revisit it just tell me again and i was like well, you know so it was frustrating see that's there... a good answer though because she covered it up by saying yes, she oh, did. right i mean that's a very good answer yeah yeah she did and she so she did yeah, because she didn't want to tell you that she forgot. She right. compensated. She said yeah. she compensated. Yeah, because yeah, that and, and if they're if they are very you know clever, if they are aware of it. They are very good at at hiding it. My mom was too. My mom would be yep. like, "Okay, gotcha. All right, let's just <laughs> we'll just keep it there. Got you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, good for her. All right. yeah, <laughs> but yeah. but it's because of uh, exactly the reason why we're doing this podcast and exactly the reason I think Heather, why you're doing what you're doing is we, this is an epidemic that's happening. It's, it's prevalent everywhere. Yeah. We have to raise awareness. The first responders do have to understand about how to handle and also identify, identify if that's yeah. even happening. And if this is what's playing into the party or is it really drug related or is it that, or is it this? Because it's a, it's its own identifying um, uh, disease, but really hard to identify. Well, if you don't know it and someone's in that stage, right, Heather, you can right. you just, it can be mistaken for something else. Right. The other thing that happens sometimes is people will say, no, I understand. No, I'm fine. Um, and um, they may present, they may appear as if they're fully in command of themselves. And right. so if you are asking a person, well, do you want to go to the hospital? And they say, absolutely no the paramedics aren't supposed to take them unless it's obviously like a life and death thing so it's a really hard situation we've actually done some advocacy at the state level and worked on legislation to train um emts and so there it is now part of california california law to uh have emts do an additional two hours of training around dementia communication communicating with people with dementia and their caregivers um, and it's understanding basic things like it what if the caregiver is the patient? You still can't leave that, that person with dementia home by themselves, right? That's a safety yeah. risk for that person. So our first responders are, are, have to learn how to deal with our families and we're working on it and they all have the best of intentions and we partner with a number of organizations in, in the community to help them teach their, their staff and their people and um, people want to learn when they do learn they're actually grateful for the, for the knowledge and how to apply it it's super important because as like I said my mom ended up yeah. you know immobile after that because she that was the last time she walked 
because they didn't know. And it's just, you know, now I, I know it's just frustrating. And that's why I didn't, I included that in my film was, you know, the, the scene with the, with the police because, mm. you know, and, and I showed what it look, looks like for them to have an understanding to go, okay, gotcha. You know, yeah. but they still weren't, it still was, you know, it, it took a really nice cop to actually take a second to go, all right, I, I see, I see what's happening here. Mm. Yeah, it does take somebody who has a little bit of, of empathy and compassion and some mm -hmm. understanding to be able to to see that this isn't just somebody who is either on drugs or just otherwise mentally ill or, or actually believing them like my mom would say you know i don't know who this person is that i'm with she's trying to she's following yeah. me i don't know her and, and my mom's character yeah. would be like <laughs> yeah. 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 And so and they were like, well, well, who do we believe? Right? Yeah. Right. It's very hard. These are very hard situations. It's and that's really, hard. and that's really what you're talking about those that education, that yep. becoming, that becoming aware, how to deal with it. And really, I think why all three of us are doing what we're doing yep. is to help. Yeah. That is we, definitely yeah. a big part of it. Absolutely, Kathy, you hit the nail on the head. The best thing we can do is educate our families, educate our communities around what dementia looks like and there's no single story for what it looks like. Everybody yeah. experiences it differently. It's such a wide spectrum of, of behaviors and, and um, ways of communicating and how it looks. Some people remain in you know, perfectly good physical health for very, very long, um, but they lose communication skills or they lose their ability to problem solve and you know, their rational abilities um, slowly disappear. It's, it's not just, you know, that they forget things. It's a right. far more complex. And the education is so important because when I look back at old home, you know, home video and I, of me talking to my mom, because I remember Lisa Givens was one of the first people that taught, who told me about Alzheimer's because she went through it through her mom and we had a mutual right. friend and she took me to lunch and she said, please videotape your mom. And, you know, cause you, it, the state, you know, the stages, you don't, you never know when it's going to progress. And then you've lost that, you know, that part of her. So I took her advice and I would videotape, but I mean, sometimes I look back and I go, oh my God, I just want to, I just want to tell myself to shut up because I would be, I would say things like, mommy, what day is it? No, no, <laughs> you know what day it is. Tell me what day it is. Come on, you know, because you learn. I want to kill myself because I know that I, I was asking her to do something that's just ridiculous. It's because at that time, though, Susie, you were in denial that it was happening and you thought you could change it. You no, thought I you could could talk her out of it. I thought exactly. I was going to be like, we're so close. I got your back on this, Mom. Right. I'm, we're going to get you out of this. You know, when, one, of the, um, one of the education programs we've done is, is called, Are They Doing This to Annoy Me? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> right? I mean... <laughs> That's one of the first things people think about is, why is he behaving this way? Why is she doing this to me? She's driving me crazy. What is, she, what is this about? Why is she doing this? And why won't she stop? Mm -hmm. Right? So it's, and it takes a very long time for people to understand that they're not doing it on purpose. They actually have no control. And yeah. they don't even know, they don't even have awareness that they are behaving this way. No, and even it, like, you know how, and I think we all experience this is that they have lucid moments where, you know, they, they have these lucid moments. And I would sometimes say, cause my mom would often come in. She went the year she lived with me and see my daughters with me and she'd go, Oh, I'm sorry. I see you have friends. I won't bother you. <laughs> and I That's go, amazing. Oh, those are your granddaughters. And she'd go, oh, <laughs> right. 
Yeah. <laughs> I know. And then later, wow. go, you know, that's really hurtful when you say that and you don't, and she'd go, what did I say? And I would tell uh, her, oh my God, she'd cry. She said, I oh. Because she just didn't know. No. Uh, I love this one. My grand, we're all sitting around the table and my aunt is saying something and then Graham asked her the question again and she goes, I just got done telling you it's been three times now. This is my third time. Mom, you're scaring me. And she goes, well, how do you think I feel? <laughs> that's, totally. that's great. That's you great. Know? Because it's true. And you know, it's that trap. And it's like, they look exactly the same but they're yeah. actually strangers now, even to themselves. Yeah. And yeah. how scary must it be to not know where you are from moment to moment Panic. and to not understand. And that kind of information is just beyond my understanding because I do have the moment to moment, you know, uh, connecting the dots. And yeah. that's what I want to ask you about, Heather. Um, mm -hmm. Alzheimer's LA, what is your mission statement? So our, missions, our mission is to... Um, provide education, support, and resources to local families in Los Angeles, uh, Riverside and San Bernardino counties to support families living with the disease today. We also do support a small amount of research, locally funded research as well. We are an entirely local, local organization. Mm -hmm. We are a standalone organization where we're, it's just us. Um, and we do everything we do, everything we raise stays right here in the greater LA area. Um, and we focus on, on our community. We are, we are Angelinos and we are in bed. We've been in this community for almost 40 years. And this is, this is, this, we are part of this community. It's, and what, and how does that differ? I know because sometimes when I'm doing, um, fundraising mm -hmm. for, for, um, Alls LA, you know, people will say, oh, I, I donated to something. And I'm like, that's not yeah. our organization. Like, so what, what is the difference it's and what is confusing. the advantages between being a local organization and a national organization? So the, the National Alzheimer's Association is a good organization. They do do mm -hmm. good work. We, um, we actually used to be affiliated with them. And about five years ago, we disaffiliated and became mm -hmm. independent. So the advantage is that all the money that we raise stays here and supports our local community. Um, we also have a tremendous amount more independence and that leads to higher levels of innovation. So mm -hmm. we are able to really focus on our the highly diverse community of Los Angeles in a way that mm -hmm. would be much harder for us to do if we were part of a national entity. So what that means is we focus on um, providing education and services to uh, highly diverse communities and providing them with uh, socially competent, with um, culturally competent, linguistically competent materials that fit the way that they want to receive them. We work in partnership with our communities. Um, we have deep networks in both the Latino community and in the African-American community, as well as in the Asian Pacific Islander community, mm. um, which by itself is a challenge because the API community itself is so, it's dozens of languages and cultures on its own. Oh. Um, and then even within the Latino community, you have our, you know, our Mexican-American, which is one of the dominant communities here in LA, mm -hmm. but you have people from all over the world whose first language is Spanish. Right. And um, culturally, there are differences. Linguistically, there are differences. They use different vocabulary sometimes. So totally. work hard to uh, really connect on a highly local level, to develop relationships with each community, to 
not just meet them with where they are, but to give them what they need in the way they tell us they need it and want it. Um, so important, Heather. We, we, we just interviewed a woman who is Korean mm -hmm. and she became her father's caregiver along. Mm -hmm. The mother was there, but you know what she was up against their cultural very traditional cultural you know background and more mores values everything and you know the the amount of shame that comes with this disease and in, in that particular culture it's, is is really it's great it's, it's great yeah, it's it real. causes so much more conflict than than there already is yep stigma is uh one of the biggest issues we have in throughout all of these communities and it's not only diverse communities i mean we see it in in the white community too for the longest time my father wouldn't let us say the word alzheimer's around my mother he didn't want her to know and he didn't want anybody else to know and i might both my parents were highly educated right so was it is it based on shame or or embarrassment do you think heather i think it's based a lot of on uh, lack of understanding there used to be a lot of shame around not knowing what it was or thinking that it was somehow a deficiency in the person and therefore in some cultures it's been a deficiency in the family. So mm. families will keep this very, very tightly held within family units. They don't want to ask for help. There are some cultures that, that it's a sign of weakness to ask mm. for help or to let these things outside the, the family or to, 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 to actually be needing to ask for help. Mm. So um, I think a lot of that, one of the best tools we have to combat stigma is it comes back to education mm -hmm. people do not understand that this is not just grandma or grandpa getting old that it is a true neurodegenerative disease it's, mm -hmm. a, it's a disease of the brain and there is no cure in fact it's the only top five cause of death in this country that has no treatment no form of prevention and no cure so there is, there is almost nothing we can do for, for people except for provide from a, from a traditional kind of therapeutic intervention. There's nothing we can do for people. Minimal. There are some drugs, there are a couple of drugs on the market, and they do work for some people. So it's really important people talk to their doctors. How many different types of Alzheimer's is there? Because you're saying it's not just for your grandma and grandpa. There's so many different um, types right. as well, so correct? That's a, so that's a really and good we're question. Learning. Yeah, so that's a really interesting question. And the way that you phrased it is actually really interesting because what you asked was how many different types of Alzheimer's there are. And Alzheimer's is, a, is well, we don't know, frankly. At the moment, we've, we've always thought of Alzheimer's as a single disease, but now there's a school of thought that there may be different forms of Alzheimer's itself. But mm -hmm. Alzheimer's is the most prevalent or the most highly diagnosed form of dementia. So if you actually think of dementia as the mm. umbrella over all of these different neurodegenerative brain diseases, and they all have very similar things. So um, there's, a, there's a, a process in the brain where the um, cells begin to lose functioning and to die, and sometimes that leads to different changes in the brain. So there's Alzheimer's the one, is the form of dementia that most people are familiar with. Probably the next biggest is vascular dementia, mm. um, and vascular dementia can look like Alzheimer's, but it looks different on CAT scans because it's, it's um, a, a vascular disease. And sometimes people on CAT scan or MRI, they'll show that, it, that they've had something like small, like tiny um, strokes. strokes. Little, oh, wow. So it looks a little bit different. And sometimes depending on where the vascular damage is, they can have different types of symptoms and behaviors. There are other types of dementia um, 
like there's a Parkinsonian version where people have more physical, there's um, Lewy bodies, which is, can sometimes resemble Parkinsonian and people have more physical symptoms and sometimes have trouble with speech. There's frontal temporal, which can affect everything from, um, again, behaviors, but also things like hallucinations and, and right. delusions and things like that. And some it's of like these head injury, yeah. And, and yes, and then there are people who have had profound head injuries who end up with dementia. And sometimes they have, you know, if it's a single head injury or multiple head injuries, we see it sometimes with football players, football players or, other yeah. of, or other kinds of professional athletes that are prone to head injuries. You can see that they, boxers, for example, sometimes totally. they um, develop these kinds of neurodegenerative diseases as well. But so really the, the, the umbrella term is dementia, and then all of these are different forms of dementia. Alzheimer's disease is, again, the most common of them. Our programs basically break down into what we do clinically and what we do in the community education. We spent a little bit of time talking about our community ed program. We do a lot of outreach. We do a lot of workshops, seminars, access to information, education, everything from how to keep your home safe to providing um, ongoing courses and classes for people to learn. We also have a network of over 200 support groups that we work with, and these are support groups that are, are all over the community. There is probably one in a language that anybody needs at a location that they can get to. Right now, everything is online, but generally speaking, we're physically all over um, the greater LA area. And um, then we also have our more highly focused clinical programs. Our care counselors are probably um, one of the programs that we're known best for. So our care counselors are social workers who, are ex who have expertise in working with families with dementia. And they work one-on-one -on -one with families to provide everything from um, a little bit more in-depth education to um, helping people develop a, clear, a, a care plan so sometimes, I mean, we've talked about this. Sometimes the family isn't all on the same page. Right. I can tell you both my brothers who live, uh, who live out of the area had a much harder time thinking that anything was actually happening with our mom. Because same with me, same exact. They were but like they're, when she they're was removed. They're, yeah, they're they removed. are. And when they're they like, would hey, talk she to her. Great. She sounds great. Yes. She was compensating. So she would do that for them. She pulled it together. Sure. She yeah. dumped all the crap on me. No, I'm she kidding. Because well, we're the daughters. <laughs> we're, we're the daughters. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, also, yeah. she got to... Stop it, Susie. You're, what you yes. Oh, my gosh. Think, Why do you right? always have to make, make everything so dramatic? Exactly. Exactly. Because <laughs> well, I'm the girl. Because, <laughs> well, it's also because, too, you're the closest and you see yes. each other all the time. And also... They can't fool you. No, no, so you are, she couldn't. And and actually, also, I think that there's, it, it, you know, I, I was highly sarcastic when I said she, you know, dumped all the crap. But the reason <laughs> that she gave me the crap was because she was most comfortable with me. She was. It safe. was a safe place for her to not have to fully be compensating all the time. Right. Like she could just, right. you know, unwind, be angry, be sad, have you know, have a crying jag that went on for two hours, and I would just say it's okay. Oh, so, um, you know, these are the, so, but it's hard. So our care counselors will work with families, help them get on the same page for what they want for their, for their loved one. We um, will, if the person is still able to, and if they're in the early stages of the disease or they have mild cognitive impairment, which is a, a kind of 
not really a stage, but almost a state right. before people become um, fully symptomatic with something like dementia or Alzheimer's. And not everybody who gets mild cognitive impairments will be Will, will develop Alzheimer's, but many do. Right. But we still will help these families, you know, understand what is important to the person who with the disease, so that their wishes and desires are are able to be carried out when they're no longer able to speak for themselves. So important. Um, so so, so important. really really critical. It gives them a chance to put things in order to understand, and it gets families all on the same page, understanding what how to work together. We will coach families working through really tough decisions. Like, you know, if, if like with my parents, it was, you know, my dad primarily caring for my mom. And for some families, that's untenable. At some point, you know, some people really are safer and healthier yeah. in a facility, but that's not an option for everybody. It's not an option for many people financially, and it's not an option for many people culturally. They will not put a loved one in a facility because right. it is a betrayal in some culture. Right, 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 right. So, but if you are making the commitment to care for your loved one at home, or if you have no choice but to care for your loved one at home, it is hard work. It is 24-7. It's daunting, and it's like yeah. no one tells you what the, the ramifications are of that, you know, and it's so much harder. It can be so much harder on you as the caregiver than the person that you're caring for. After a certain point, it is. After a certain point, it is, it, is, it is incredibly difficult on the family members and throughout and harder on family members than on the person. It's just a, a it's, and if you've never cared for somebody or watched somebody care for somebody with dementia, you, it's impossible to describe what it's like on a daily basis to have to provide 24-7 daily care for years and years on end. Right. Um, it is. Um, it, it causes huge levels of stress, depression, anxiety. Um, we really worry about caregivers and, and being able to manage their own self-care. Yeah. And we often hear about caregivers who become ill in the process of caring for their loved one. It's oh, not unusual. 100%. And yeah. I, yeah. I mean, I, I always make the, the reference to Benjamin Button because it, it reminds me of like when you have, a, it's a lot like caring for a child, a young child, but the difference is you get rewarded with children because they're developing and they're going, they're learning. So every day yeah. it's, it's like, oh, they, you know, I have to change their diaper. Now I don't have to change their diaper because they're, but instead our, our loved ones are going the opposite way. And it's a decline. It's and, a decline. and, and. And they don't know how to thank you because they don't remember. And there's a lot of, um, it just feels unrewarding directly. Yeah. Right. You know that you have to get it from another place, which they can get it from Alzheimer's LA. Yep. You know, that's the Absolutely. support that they can get to say, no, this is normal. Yeah. This is real. This is, is what yeah. happens. It's the epitome and of unconditional love is what it is. It, 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 it really is because it's thankless from them directly and they don't even remember who you are. Yeah. And they're maybe even mad at you for, for helping them. They're really? frequently mad and, at their caregivers. Right. Because yeah. they the don't want to do something yeah. and they are, you know, Hey, and they have a bank account and they have a say and they have an, you know, they like, I can, you know, yeah. and it's like, wait a second. Uh, you're not even of right mind. Let's get, on the plan and you didn't even know it and it's like oh I know so I actually gave my mom a credit card that was not good anymore because she and I gave her like a checking account and like I just so she can her write her own bills yeah yeah That's and awesome. then one day she got really mad at me she was very very upset when she was living with me so she I still have it she wrote me a check for only a hundred dollars wrote me a check and said and it said have a nice life 
Get out of here now. <laughs> you're, you're dismissed. She was paying you off. She says, I'm done. But I, I want to say something that you mentioned too, Heather, is that you talked about when your mother was in a, a distressed state. Yes. That you had your father put on music that was relatable to her. Yeah. And that's something that Susie and I have talked about a ton. Mm -hmm. And we know, and this has been proven now, and this is something that you could probably speak on, that music will connect them back to a place of themselves. Yeah. Connect to, to the emotional center. It actually helps them reconnect with emotion, which is something that's very, very hard for people with dementia to be able to articulate. Yeah. Like they can't tell you how they're feeling. They can't tell you why they're frustrated. They, don't they just are, yeah. right? So yeah, music has this amazing ability to connect in some part way back in our, I once heard somebody say, you know, the reptilian part of our brain. Yeah. Right, where those 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 connections are formed so early and so deeply and that yeah. when we hear music that we relate to, um, it's pretty. It can be transformative. Mm -hmm. um, we have a we have a partnership actually with the LA Opera, which is oh. pretty amazing. They're another <gasps> fabulous local organization, and we love our partnership with the LA Opera. That's um, fantastic. I didn't I didn't realize that. That's great. They're really wonderful that. and oh. they they are they're one of our biggest supporters, so I'm happy to give them a shout out wherever I I can as well. Um, but one of the things they do is they come exactly they come to our our memory mornings program. So our memory mornings is a program for people who are mostly in the mid stages, sometimes a little bit later. They um and they come and they have some activities. So we do different things with them. So when we have um, a program with the LA Opera, they will send um, a singer and an accompanist, accompanist mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. play on the keyboards for, our, for, the, for the performer. And they will sing everything from um, a Carmen aria to how much is that doggy in the window. Oh my God, and God bless them. They are phenomenal. And they say, I mean, you should hear when they do things like take me out to the ball game. Yeah. People who oh. are nonverbal will stand up and, and start singing. singing and at it. the end of it, they'll say, play ball. Yes. I mean, it is. It is I've said, it's that hook. Yes. It's that hook that they have, and all of a sudden it brings them back to themselves again. Right. So, and that, and that's that's great to it's know. It's powerful. It's magic. Yeah. So with this program, we actually work also with with an art therapist, with a music therapist, who then engages the group to connect to those emotions. Where did you first hear that song? What memory do you have of hearing that song? And it's really wonderful to hear these stories about you know these these people sharing stories from when they were growing up and life experiences from earlier in their lives. So music is a pretty powerful tool. And if you're at home caring for someone, you know, get your Alexa plugged in because I got to say Alexa play Elvis worked every time. Uh, that's what I, I said. <laughs> Alexa play Frank and she's yeah. like, I'm on it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think we once said something like, Alexa, play the Beatles. And she was like, would you like the White Album or Abby Rose? <laughs> We're, you're even trained in Alexa. That's awesome. I have, oh, okay, yeah. so, so that brings me to a question, which, you know, I'm dealing with, and I'm, I know everybody else is dealing with that has somebody that has Alzheimer's or dementia, which is the COVID-19, oh. you know, really in, in doing a number on how we care for our loved ones or 
not care for them because we can't get near them, you know, if they're in a uh, facility. So how are how has that affected what you guys do right now? Okay. And so when this all happened, it was, um, we were getting calls and we are still getting calls from families who are on the verge of crisis. So we were getting connecting with them when they were feeling quite desperate and needing help in a number of different ways. And you're right, it can be broken down into two, into two different groups. Number one is um, the group of people who are stuck at home through this mm -hmm. and 24 seven in the house with somebody with dementia is a challenge. Um, and again, remember a lot of our, our clients are socioeconomically disadvantaged and with no ability to work and with people who had been providing, you know, family members who had been earning, no longer earning, um, access to food, access to sanitary supplies, the ability to buy them, the ability to leave the house to go get them, all of that went away in an instant. So we had people, we, we have really uh, flown into high gear to help people with um, how to manage caring for somebody at home during this. Right. It, is, it is quite, quite difficult. We have a number of resources up on our website, which is alzheimersla.org. But, and there's, there's a lot up there for people caring at home, for caring for someone at home. Um, but we were also really struck by how many people just needed, um, you know, routine suggestions for how to create a schedule. You know, they could no longer take their person to their routine programs. They can't leave the house to get groceries, as we right. talked about. So how to make all of these things happen. And, and in some cases, we were able to connect them with other resources in the community for meal, meal delivery services mm -hmm. and um, deliver, delivery from um, pharmacies and other partners to be able to provide products and right. need just to get through the day. The other really scary dilemmas for someone who has a, a loved one at home and they're caring for them at home is, God forbid they get sick That's, themselves, yes. what, what have they, what is put into plan, you know, to take care of their person when they- Some of them have no plans. There's no backup, there's no additional family. I mean, in, in, and even if there is, sometimes they're out of state, they're not available or they don't want to come in and risk getting sick themselves. Right. We have had increasing levels of anxiety, depression, fear, Huge. all of these um, on the, are significantly on the rise. And even though the initial shock of how we're going to do this is over, I mean, caregiving is exhausting. And this situation is putting additional long-term stress. And we're at two months of being at home, basically. We're at oh. week eight here, or this is the eighth week in LA that we've been pretty much um, in our home, seventh or eighth week. And it's, it's, it's a very tough, long slog with no breaks. Well, so the longer this goes on for people at home, the longer we worry about um, uh, health and mental health for our caregivers as well. And it's also really frustrating for the person because they don't necessarily understand why they can't go for a walk, of why course. they can't go to their of normal. Of course, and they're going to forget if you tell them anyway. I used to have notes all right. over the house, right? Yeah. Right. But so if you don't have to give me the answer to it, uh, other than is if if that worst case scenario happens, can they con can people contact Alzheimer's Los Angeles yes. and, with, and maybe you can guide them with some kind of yes. solution, you know, short term. And, yeah. And sometimes we're able to do things like work with respite partners to help provide right. some care for the person that needs it. So the, the person can with the, who may become positive with COVID-19 can isolate and care for themselves. Um, right. So yes, they should absolutely call us and we will absolutely work to help. I figured you'd say yes, but I yes. just thought I'd ask anyway. Of Absolutely. course, and, 
And I would say to that to this is that COVID-19 uh, affects me greatly. And yeah. I don't have Alzheimer's and I'm not caregiving for anybody at this time. It's, so my heart is broken and yeah. goes out to everybody. My prayers yeah. are going out to every caregiver out there, every person that has Alzheimer's, of course, everybody in the whole world, but especially with this uh, pressure and this newly founded uh, situation, yeah. I, I'm not even comfortable leaving my house. I feel like I have to, when I go to the grocery right? store, I'm going to go to a war zone. I'm like yep. armed up and masked up and, and glasses and, and, yep. and everything. And then yep. when I come home, I strip down and go take a shower. And can you imagine having that anxiety and the depression? Yep. And now we're, now we're dealing on top of this caregiving for a whole other human being and somebody that's not going to have any memory. And that whole pressure that occurs it's it's exhausting yeah. and i want to say caregivers. one comment i want exactly i want to say one comment to the caregivers you have to find the resources you must find and reach out and ask and ask people for help so yep. you can get what you need during this time so you can sustain because yep. if you don't sustain and live you will not be there to care give for the person that you love that you're caregiving for. So that is what I know Heather is built and Heather is dealing with for all of you guys. And that's the reason why we wanted her to be able to talk about COVID-19 situation because it's a big, huge deal. It is not little. Like last week I had friends texting me, watch Rachel Maddow. She's talking about everybody should take their, you know, their parents home out of the uh, assisted living quick, do it now. And I'm like, hold on. What? That is not, that's not like you just go, come on, come home now. Yeah. So that's oh. okay. So now we can, we can shift a little bit and talk about people with family with family members yeah. in these facilities. And yes. it's true. I mean, as a group, they are the hardest hit group and it is terrifying. And um, you know, my, one of my best friends, her father-in-law is in a facility here in the Valley and it's like two miles from where they live and they can't even get in to see him. And, um, it's hard. It's really, really frustrating. And it is terrifying because it's so much out of your control. Mm -hmm. Um, so, but, you know, pulling somebody out of what is, what is hopefully a safe environment is maybe not the best thing. If your loved one happens to be in one of those facilities that does have a high, uh, outbreak rate, then you probably want to speak to, again, call us, talk to our care counselors, let us help you make some decisions that are appropriate for, for you and your family, and understand what mechanisms are being put into place to help protect your loved one in the facility. Right. So, and that's a really important thing for people who have somebody there right now is to understand what, it, what are the protocols in place in the facility. And if the protocols put in place are appropriate and safe, mm -hmm. then chances are your loved one is better off staying there. It's the best place for them, right? Right. right. Often it is also because, you know, change disruptions yeah. are very stressful for a person with dementia and making these kinds of adjustments and transitions can actually cause more stress to a person and can lead to just, you know, setbacks and more challenges. So right. really, really have to understand the pros and cons to your personal situation before you just make a blanket statement about everybody should be keeping their person at home or everybody should be putting them in a facility. Exactly. There's no, there's no easy answer in this right now for people. It's just, it's an impossible situation. But I think you're right. Everybody. I think you're right, Heather, about finding out what kinds of protocol that the specific location that your family member's yes. at what do they have in place, right? Because we right. all just saw that 
the front page of the LA Times was, I'm going to say it's Silverado, you know, my mom used to be a resident there. And, you know, and it's a shame because they, they obviously didn't adhere to, you know, not transferring people and, you know, which you shouldn't, at this time when we're on lockdown, they shouldn't be transferring and you, you as a caregiver shouldn't know, you have to advocate. That's the best way, I guess, you could advocate for your loved one is by making sure that they're adhering to their protocol. Right. And understanding what the protocols are. So what, what are the numbers of staff on duty? When and how are, is your loved one receiving meals? Mm-hmm. Are they still doing communal eating because they should not be they communal not be. eating, right? Mm-hmm. So what what are the protocols around, um, you know, PPE, that personal protective equipment we hear about in the media all the time? Are they wearing, are masks mandatory? Is your loved one being asked to put on a mask if they leave their room so that it's protecting them and protecting others? So all of these things you really have to understand. And in fact, we've been getting a lot of questions on this through our helpline. And we did a blog just last week. It went out in our newsletter about this. And there's some really helpful hints in there. And, and bottom line is uh, you have to demand communication. You have to be vigilant on communicating with the management of the facility and demand that they respond to you. And um, they, they have an obligation to share with you what's going on. They have an obligation to share with you if there are any positive cases in that facility and to let you know what the potential exposure for your loved one is. And with that kind of information flow, then you are as good as you're going to get in terms of having um, the data you need to be able to make decisions to care for your loved one. Um, The the state and the city have, or the county have also put a higher focus on this and there's now testing in all of these facilities but yep. testing available for all of these facilities yeah so ideally you know I, it, in theory it's coming it's got to be coming from outside in right so if, if visitors yeah, it has to be the staff are, or- right so right if there's no visitors then it's got to be staff so if the staff is being yeah. tested and if residents are being tested on a regular yeah. basis then you should be able to stop it as it develops or, or minimize any kind of spread, right? So now that there's more testing throughout the city of LA and the county of LA, and um, the state has put additional resources into helping keeping our loved ones who are in skilled nursing and in these types of um, memory assisting, memory care units available, then we should be able to have greater information or access to information to help keep them safe. But this is, again, it's there is no easy answer. Bringing the person home isn't an easy answer and keeping them there isn't an easy answer. Right. But I think you're right though, educating yourself on, you know, everything you can at the, of the facility that your loved one's at is the most important and the best thing you can do, the most powerful yep. thing you can do. And you're right. And I, and absolutely the testing has gotten, thank God, you yep. know, more prevalent because they're doing right. it where my mom is at at the Jewish home and they just found, right. they, and they are, amazing they keep us informed like on a daily basis and through this they testing, should be yeah they and it's wonderful and i'm so grateful they um found uh one of the staff members who was not symptomatic had it mm. and now they're oh, wow. quarantined so they're this is how we can stop it you know yep. right that's the te- the testing's the key and yeah. here's the other thing is that you know everybody is so different every case every situation just like a snowflake there's not there's no two yep. that are the same And so they're very unique. And that is exactly what your organization is doing for Southern California because Angelinos are very different than the rest of the world. We have a different kind of melting pot here. We have a different cultural 
way of living and there's different ways for us to look at that. We can look at groups, but then each group has each individual person and the way Alzheimer's yeah. is, it, it is, it acts different and yep. looks different. So it's very hard to identify. So I'm super grateful that you're doing that. I have a question for you. The people that um, are in the facilities or at home, you're doing virtual programs, right? Yeah. Like art. And I mean, I saw some great art virtual programs that you're yeah. doing. That yeah. is crafts and, and, and dancing and movement because that also, like the music, connects. Yeah. And, so that's and our memory and moment morning routine, program. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Creates a routine for the people either at home or in a facility and also making sure that the loved ones are connecting if they if their loved one is in a facility, connecting with them virtually, even if they don't understand. So it. that's another thing, that, right? right? If your loved one is in a facility, hopefully they are keeping them enriched in some way. But you can also request to do FaceTime or Skype or Zoom, you know, to have them use a, a, a company laptop or somebody's cell phone uh, and, and help them with, with FaceTime, that you have the opportunity to see and connect. I mean, it's very, very hard. We hear, for example, I was telling you about my, my friend's father-in-law, mm -hmm. and um, he keeps asking for his son. He keeps saying, when is he going to come visit me? When, yeah. you know, why isn't he coming? And, and then he gets angry that he thinks that he's, you know, avoiding him and ignoring him and has forgotten about him, and they feel isolated and, yeah. and rejected Sad and, and hurt. Yes. And that's not, that's a really hard thing to contend with when yeah. it's just not in their power to visit him right now. But yes, we do have some online. Thank you for your question, Cassie. We do have some online enrichment programs, but the majority of what we have are some suggestions for how to keep your person on a schedule at home. And then also some kind of learn at home video based programs for caregivers. Um, so there's some tools and resources for the caregivers. We actually have, um, support groups, both in English and Spanish, every workday, Monday through Friday, at different times okay. of the day. We have found that, and they're also virtual. Some of them are telephone-based. Um, we've learned as much as we thought everybody was going to go straight to video. Some people really aren't comfortable with video, right. and they really want to use just the on the phone. OG, so, OG. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, don't make me. Don't make me put on makeup. No, it's not even that. It's just I don't want to. I don't know how to talk to a, a computer. I understand right. that they're there, but I don't want it. So, we've got both telephone and video-based support right. groups going on, and. And they can find everything at alzheimerslosangeles.org. Alzheimersla.org. Alzheimers Los Angeles will get you there. We, you know, we okay. redirect it all, but it's alzheimersla.org. <laughs> Dot org. Don't forget website. it's org.com. That's right. That's right. And um, if you, they don't have it, they will find it for you. I promise. Absolutely. You. We will, like, we it's we like will a family. You. They, they, yeah. you will find a new family. Don't do this alone. You're, you can't do this alone. It's impossible. No, you can't do it alone. You need a whole village. You need a whole team. You need all your resources. You need every resource that's yeah. available. Also, um, we'll make sure on our podcast that oh, we put sure. the website um, in the bio. And put our helpline phone number also. Some people, again, remember, they still want to connect by phone. So the yeah. helpline is 844-HELP-ALL, which is 844, I have to read it, 435-7259. Absolutely. Do it one more time. Do it one more time, Heather. 844-435-7259. And that stands for? 844-HELP-ALLS. HELP-ALLS. And yes. if you're not in Los Angeles and you're listening to this... Call us anyway. Call we'll them anyway, you. and they'll yeah. tell you who to get in touch with in your yeah. area. They we will. have friends all over the country. We, we've taken calls and emails from the UK, 
We're yeah. happy to help. Oh, I mean, we, have, just, we have people from yeah. that are listening to us in Germany and in Canada. Yeah. And so, you know, all over the world. I love you. Listen, we have a, a pop-up on our, on our website. If you go to our website during our business hours, it will mm -hmm. pop up and you can chat with somebody online and we can help just connect you to people in your area. Or we can just get you on the phone and, and have a conversation to give you what you need and yeah. um, help direct you. We, are, we will help anybody, no matter where they are, who they are, where they come from. Yep. And it's, we, we don't ask any questions. We just are here to help anybody who needs it. And then and it can, she's it not can lying. Be, she's telling the truth. Yeah. It's true. It can be anonymous as well. Like you don't have to identify yourself. You, you don't, don't have to. Call, call no. from a block number if that's what you need, but definitely get the support. Yeah. Reach yeah. out. I mean, but you don't that's have to worry about that stuff because we don't keep that. We don't, we, we keep records about who calls us, but only again, if people grant us permission, but we also don't ask things like immigration status or income. Like we don't care about that. We're just not right. interested. If you've got a person that you're trying to care for, or if you yourself are having some memory issues, call us, we can help. Yeah, they absolutely please do. And I can't believe we've talked. We could talk another two hours. We could. We, I know. We could. We can keep going. We keep going. Heather, thank you so much. We love oh, you from pleasure. the bottom of our hearts, and and we'll we are we are so happy to be of any assistance to you guys. You know, and and you know we are we are family. So thank we are. You are family. We are family. We consider you part of Team Alzheimer's LA. Okay. Um, and we are a big extended family. We love you guys and thank you for all that you're doing to help educate and empower people as well. We are here with you in this in this fight, in this journey. Chills. <laughs> Whatever you need from us, we're here for you. You guys are, are beautiful, beautiful people. We love you. Oh, Ditto. well, Ditto. You well have a good one, please. Everybody stay safe, wash your hands, wear your masks, gloves, Stay home. Stay home. <laughs> Stay home and be just and call. be socially responsible. Exactly. Be, be cognizant of, of being a good neighbor and yeah, doing the right thing. Care for your community. Yeah. Yeah. Care yeah. for each other. You know, love yourself and then also love your neighbors. Yeah, because you know that. why? Why? Tell them why. Because um, uh, love is contagious and love is powerful and love conquers all. Oh. oh. Don't you love you how she awesome. does that? I love Thank that. Thank you, everybody. <laughs> Bye. Thank, Thank you so you. much, everybody. Okay. Have a great day. Thanks for listening. Mwah. Gotta do is sing a song.